today we kick off a brand new series, uh, The Advent Tree. And as you take a closer look at the words that are shaped like a Christmas tree, you'll read names from the genealogy that's listed in Matthew chapter one. Names making up Jesus' family tree. Now, over the course of uh, this series, we'll be looking at various characters from the tree and how they can inform uh, how we experience and how we think about Advent in particular. And what, in fact, is Advent? Advent is the period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming, right? It sounds very much like Adventist. So this is my people. This is our space. Now, Jesus' family tree, as described in Matthew, was what we were looking at. Anytime we start to talk about family, however, right? <laughs> Things get a little messy. Now, this is kind of the moment we're in, right? We just celebrated Thanksgiving, lots of gratitude, very good food, and of course, family. Mmm. Oh. Yeah? Okay. And then, right? Chris Christmas season, Advent season, uh, more family. Sometimes it gets a little bit messy. Now, as we look at these different people, we'll lean into the preparation and anticipation of Christ's arrival. And when we look at the list, we notice that it's a little bit odd. For example, it actually includes some women. Typically in genealogies, women are not included. So Matthew, what are you up to? Over the next few weeks, you will hear about a couple of those characters. And uh, not gonna steal any thunder, but uh, be looking forward to that. Now, some of the characters we know very well. Others we're a bit less familiar with. Now, some are very clearly heroes in their story. Yeah? King David is listed, Solomon, right? Uh, in general, we have positive views about the, uh, these characters. But some are very clearly villains over the course over the course of this Advent tree. And others are a bit of both. Yeah? The anti-hero. Yeah? Any anti-heroes that you like? And that's kind of a trend right now in pop culture, yeah? The anti-hero. Oh, we have a few in this list. Now, funny enough, as we talk about lineage and family, this time of year is definitely a time to really focus on family. In years past, the extended family would all come together yeah? And I won't uh, tell on you, but not everyone in the extended family is your favorite. I get it. It would affect the dynamics of the day, right? You'd all be together, and you would very conveniently kind of shift and move to make sure you didn't interact as much as possible, right, with, with that character, whoever that was. Oh, oh, they're here. Okay, where am I going to be? Time to help in the kitchen. Time to move to the living room. It would affect the day. Now, the Advent tree is similar. Not every story is clean. Not every character is a hero. The Advent tree is a genealogy. And the purpose of a genealogy is to locate someone, namely Jesus. We want to locate Jesus. 
in a larger narrative, within a larger context. Who was Jesus? And the genealogy is here to help tell us who he is, to prove who he is. And Matthew's purpose behind the genealogy is clear. He was proving that Jesus indeed was the son of David that was foretold, and that God's covenant with Abraham was fulfilled in him. He's the heir of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the Davidic king we've been waiting for. He's the son of Abraham, son of David. And also, right, there's that phrase, and also, the son of Shealtiel. Who's this guy? Son of Zerubbabel, son of Tamar. (laughs) Who are these people? These aren't typical titles of Jesus, yet these statements are true. Has anyone been able to trace your genealogy back uh, far enough to find a dubious character? Anyone here? Anyone related to a pirate? Any pirates? Maybe? (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Be like, yeah. Definitely related to pirates. Today, we're going to focus on a person from the list who is a bit more obscure and perhaps a bit complicated, but a person whose story might have something to tell us about this Advent season. Today's family member is Asa. Yeah, yeah, the Christmas sermon you were hoping for. (laughs) But to understand him, we have to give Asa a bit of context. So we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 1. Verse six, we're gonna start there. So David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, just a little teaser for next week, Pastor Pono will be speaking about Uriah's wife. Pastor Pono is the associate chaplain at La Sierra University and I'm really looking forward to hearing him talk about Bathsheba. Continues on, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa. Okay, there he is. There's our guy. Even in those few short verses, there's a lot to unpack. So let's talk about David. Here's David. You all know him. You love him. A man after God's own heart. Oh, yeah, and the Bathsheba thing. Right? Okay, so mostly good. A little bit of dirt there. Okay, (laughs) we know him. Solomon, you know Solomon, you love Solomon, right? What did he ask God for? Wisdom, and he got it. So ask the Lord for wisdom. Yeah, yeah there's a reasonable chance you will get it. Um, so great, we love Solomon. But you know what? He kind of married a lot of women and kind of had a lot of concubines. And so... He kind of opened the door to idol worship. Uh, So not great. So, all right. But a little bit of dirt. In general, we like this person. Okay. So let's move on. Who was Solomon's child that's part of this lineage? It is Rehoboam. Now, I did a little bit of research on the name Rehoboam, as one does. Right? Anyone here named Rehoboam? Okay, no, no, not a popular name at the moment, but you all can change that. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) Rehoboam means that God will enlarge. That's what it means, God will enlarge. In fact, in uh, the wine world, 
Those large bottles are known as Rehoboam. Yeah, not that you would know, not that you would know. Again, research, it just kind of comes up. Okay, Rehoboam reigned for 17 years as king in Judah, and this was a divided kingdom now. So the 12 tribes had split, and the northern kingdom included 10 of them. The southern kingdom was Judah, and that's where Rehoboam was against Jeroboam. Rehoboam did some things that were just not great. In fact, in general, we don't like him. Boo, boo. Can we get a boo? Boo. boo. We don't like Rehoboam. So don't name your kids that. <laughs> he set up high places. He set up sacred stones and Asherah poles. So these, this was clearly idol worship that was happening under Rehoboam. In fact, in 1 Kings Chapter 14, 24, listen to what else he did. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. So this is Rehoboam, not great, wicked, clearly a villain. Yeah? Okay, so then after his 17 years, then comes Abijah. Now Abijah's name means that my father is Yah, my father is God. What a hopeful name. But keep in mind, Rehoboam had a hopeful name too, right? God will enlarge. My father is God. What did Abijah do? Well, he reigned for three years only, right? Short tenure. First Kings chapter 15, Verse three says this about Abijah. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. Same level. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his forefather had been. So not great. Thankfully only three years of Abijah. His father's God. Just, come on. And then his son is born, Asa. The protagonist, Asa, whose name means healer. I like that a lot. So my name is Jason, and my name means healer. So I, I have a kinship with Asa. Asa reigned for a really long time, 41 years. I'm 42 years old. Asa reigned for 41 years. First Kings chapter 15, verse 11. Let's go. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. 15 verse 11. Verse 12, he expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. All right, say expelled. Yeah, no, they're not gonna say it. Say expelled. expelled. That's what he did to the male shrine prostitutes. I'm very proud of our young people for not saying expelled. Come on. <laughs> but that's what Asa did for the male shrine prostitutes. He even deposed his grandmother, Makah, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down and burned it, burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. And we're gonna stop here for a moment. So Asa changed things, yeah? 
Asa changed things. Asa said, my grandfather did this, my father did this, and I am going to change things and do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, right? Expelling male shrine prostitutes, right? And then when his grandmother, now this happened a little later, right? This is after he had defeated Zerah, Zerah the Cushite. And after he did that, about 15 years into his reign, you could read about it in 2 Chronicles, what happens is his grandmother rises up against him. And listen, Grandma. <laughs> Grandma builds an idol. Now, how hard is it to say something to Grandma? How hard is it to say something to Grandfather or Father? Asa did that. He said, Grandma, this is not going to happen. I have to cut it down and burn it. It's just going to happen because I have to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Wow, Asa, we see you. We see you on that tree. Now, the Advent tree teaches us something really important for this, this season because you may have grown up hearing certain phrases. Here's one of the phrases. Past is prologue. Have you heard that before? Past is prologue. What does that mean? That means what happened before might give you a clue as to what is going to happen next. Right? Here's another one. Your DNA is your destiny. Have you heard this? Your DNA is your, it's in your cells. It's in your bones. The choices of your parents matter for your trajectory in life. Is that true? Maybe, maybe to some degree. Yeah, because right, every now and then they'll be like, wow, you're just like your mom. Oh, you're just like your dad. I don't know how you feel about that. You might be like, yay, or you might be like, oh. <laughs> we might be like, come on, let's be real. <laughs> and there's a philosophical question around this. This is what it is. It's free will versus fate. All right, do, can we choose? Can we choose into the future, or are we fated to do something? Now, just for what it's worth, uh, we may have some philosophers here. There is a difference between fate and determinism, yeah? And it has to do with the spiritual dimension of it. Fate has a spiritual dimension. It was intended that it would happen. And determinism, of course, is these things happened, and so this will happen. It's a little more mechanical. But especially when it comes to health and hereditary considerations, right? We think about your DNA is your destiny, right? Mom and dad, what issues did you have health-wise? I need to know. <laughs> because, why? Because there's a chance that I might have to deal with it. So please spill the tea. However, however, there was a peer-reviewed study published out of the University of Alberta in 2019 that challenged that notion. Look at this. Your DNA is not your destiny or a good predictor of your health. In most cases, your genes have less than 5% to do with your risk of developing a particular disease. This is a peer-reviewed journal published about almost exactly two years ago, December 5th, 2019. 
So look at this article. This is actually the journal article. If we go to the next slide, there it is. Published almost exactly two years ago, assessing the performance of genome-wide association studies for predicting disease risk. Don't you want to know what you're going to have to deal with later? Yeah, right? That makes sense. There are a few exceptions to this that they found. 40 to 50% uh, uh, predictor rate for certain types of diseases, like Crohn's, uh, celiac disease, macular degeneration. It's a much higher incidence, but by and large, 5% or less. Does that sound right? I don't know. It's not what we've heard. Could it be right? Now look, this is from uh, the article. Here's a quote. Despite these rare exceptions, it is becoming increasingly clear that the risks for getting most diseases arise from your metabolism, your environment, your lifestyle, or your exposure to various kinds of nutrients, chemicals, bacteria, or viruses, explained Wishart, one of, one of the uh, researchers. Wishart and his researcher, uh, research collaborators suggest that measuring metabolites, am I saying that right? I'm not sure. Metabolites, chemicals, proteins, or the microbiome provides a much more accurate measure of human disease risk and are also more accurate for diagnosis. The findings fly in the face of many, many modern gene testing business models, which suggest that gene testing can accurately predict someone's risk for disease. Now, I haven't done I haven't done 23andMe. I really wanted to. I was like, where do I come from? I'm not sure. I would love to do that. And could you tell me what I am at risk for? Very, very curious. But that might just be a business model. I don't know. We're going to have to dig. We're going to have to figure this out. However, when I was reading this, I couldn't help but ask, is your DNA your destiny? Past his prologue? Maybe. History doomed to repeat itself? Free will versus fate. What do you think? You think you're gonna have the same ailments and challenges your parents had? Maybe. Why are you asking these deep philosophical questions at Christmas? That's not what Christmas is about. Please. Free will versus fate? Yes, and here's why. Because Jesus refuses to be contained in our consumeristic concept of Christmas. I'll say it again for the people in the back. Jesus refuses to be contained in our consumeristic concept of Christmas. Now this is the problem, I've said it before in this space, I'll say it again, too many Christians want Jesus to be their savior but not their Lord. Just too many of us are in that space. What does that mean? We're entering a season of decadence and opulence right now, yeah? And generosity, to be sure, but is it directed to those most in need? Is our generosity directed to those most in need? And if not, why? In Matthew 25, Jesus was talking. Jesus talked periodically. He would say things. And one of the things Jesus said, right? He was talking in Matthew chapter 25, and the people respond to him, 
When did we see you hungry? Because Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. Yeah? When I was in prison, you visited me. And then they ask, when? When did we do these things that you're talking about? Because we don't remember it. And what did he say? Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Right? This is the Jesus thing. Jesus has said these things. Right? Now, when we sing songs like, Oh, come let us adore him, right? We're talking about adoring Christ. But the act of adoring Jesus is the refusal to look away from those who are suffering in our midst. The act of adoring Jesus is the refusal to look away from those who are suffering in our midst. It's it's as if we've been invited to baby Jesus' birthday party. That sounds fun, yeah? Baby Jesus' birthday party, yeah? Okay, sounds fun to me. It's as if we've been invited to baby Jesus' birthday party and he's crying in the manger and we are ignoring him. Now that's hard to do. It's hard to ignore a crying baby. Have you been in these spaces? Yeah? It's like, oh, listen, someone please do something for, <laughs> just, just help, help, help the baby. But we're there with our Martinelli's in hand, <laughs> ignoring crying baby Jesus. It's a problem. Now what can be done about it? Can we course correct? Absolutely, we can, right? There's good news. How do we know? Our guy. King Asa. King Asa shows us that we can course correct. How? Asa shows us that our DNA is not our destiny. Rehoboam, evil. Uh, Abijah, evil. Asa, good. He chose differently. He broke the chain. He broke the cycle. He did it. Verse 14 said that Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord. All his life. Verse 14 in 1 Kings chapter 15. Fully committed to the Lord all his life. He broke the cycle. So the question for us today, which cycle, which chain needs to be broken in our lives? Uh, What can we learn from King Asa? If, If your DNA is not your destiny, you can choose differently, right? Maybe your parents dealt with something. Maybe they're dealing with something. Well, now I'm just talking to them, I guess. Yeah, maybe they're dealing with something. That does not have to be your future. You can actually choose differently. And for us, we can choose differently, right? We'll be like, yo, my dad always did that, so. It doesn't have to be. It does not have to be. We can choose differently. What is it? What's the issue? Addiction? Shame? Maybe verbal abuse? Maybe belittling others. Maybe it's judgment, an attitude of judgment. What, what needs to break? Uh, you know, my parents just judged everyone, so I'm going to also. Maybe it's the myth of, that life is zero sum, right? For me to be better, someone has to be brought down. Maybe that needs to be broken in our lives. The arrival of Jesus, Advent, yeah? The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of a chain breaker. Your DNA is not your destiny. Advent is the tension of light 
in the midst of darkness, right? That's light in the midst of darkness in the world and in our lives. Asa was not perfect, however. He stumbled in the later part of his reign as king, and I, I hated reading about this, but it's true. A little bit of stumbling, and this is also a cautionary moment. It's a cautionary moment for us to learn about Asa's uh, stumbling, because although overall Asa was a good king, toward the end he, he cut a bro deal with an Aramean king, which he shouldn't have done, and then he got called out for it by the prophet Hanani, he threw Hanani in prison because he didn't like what he had to say, and then he ended up oppressing other people too, which, which wasn't not great for our guys. So, you know, mostly good, and then ah, a little. But I kind of feel like David was like that, and Solomon, right? <laughs> it's just, and if we're honest, that's us too, right? Ah, there, there are some issues here. Right? Oh, oh, that's human. That's actually part of these stories. We're not all hero, and we're not all villain, usually. But that reminds us also, this is the cautionary tale that we're not done yet. God is not done with us yet. And any move that we make toward God is never our last. Right? So if, if we made a move toward God, I don't care if you've been uh, at this following Jesus business for 50 minutes, maybe 50 minutes, or 50 years. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. Any move you've made toward God is never your last. I mean, look, we talk about an infinite God. How many times can you turn and move toward an infinite God? The answer's in there. It's infinite, right? We can continue to move toward God. It's never our last. Uh, think about our guy, Martin Luther. Martin Luther did good things, yeah? 95 theses, right? That was good, right? Also, he could have kept making moves to God, right? But right, did he move to God when they were killing Anabaptists? No. Should have, didn't. There's always another move to make. Something for us to keep in mind. So, as we close, Advent is the tension of light in the midst of darkness, in the word, and in our lives. Now, we're about to end our service. And I... I wanna tell you something uh, about myself. Uh, so not all Christmas music, like, I'm actually kind of a Grinch, right? I mean, you heard me kind of rant about consumeric, uh, uh, the consumeristic uh, right, culture that we live in, and in particular Christmas, I do, I do not vibe with that, like at all, right? I'm, I'm very salty about that. So uh, I don't like that. But there is something I do like when it comes to certain types of uh, Christmas music. I really like minor Christmas songs a lot. Yeah? I really like it. Like We Three Kings, you sang that, right? Um, and we're about to sing another one. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Because to me, in an artistic way, it captures the tension of light and dark. And periodically, there's, there's a musical element that happens sometimes, right? At the end of Sing Me Now of Christmas, you all did it. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? So that element is called the Picardy third. What happens is you go from the minor third to the major third, 
So it, it takes an overall minor song, right? And then it brings it into a light space. I love that move. Love it. Because it perfectly illustrates, it perfectly illustrates what God is at work doing. He's bringing us from the tension of light and dark fully into light. That will happen. Meanwhile, God, Advent, yeah? We find ourselves in dark spaces and there's always a move to make toward God. 